Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm joined on today's podcast by my co-host, Elaine Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama. And she is on Instagram at Messy Goat. And we have a special guest today. We're speaking with Jennifer Swope from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Jennifer is the David and Roberta Logie Associate Curator of Textile and Fashion Arts at the MFA Boston. And she's here today to talk about a brand new show that's going to be opening at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories. And the show opens on October 10th and runs through January 17th, 2022. So if you're in New England and listening to this, or if you're planning to travel to New England in the next few months, you need to add this special show to your travel itinerary. Also, if you want to follow the Museum of Fine Arts Boston on Instagram to learn about all of their upcoming shows, you can follow them at MFA Boston on Instagram. That's MFA Boston. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff. That was a wonderful introduction. And uh, I hope that you'll have a chance to come to the exhibition as well, because you told me that you lived in New England. So <laughs> yes, I'm, you've I'm, committed I'm yourself. I have, I have. But well, I before... hear that you have a visual alternative for those of us who can't make the trip. So I'd love to ask you about that so you can let us know about that for our non-travelers. Yes. Thank you, Elaine. It's so nice to be on your podcast today. And and um, we're very proud of the exhibition, of course, um, but we're also really excited to offer people a book of the same title, Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories. And it contains 58 examples from our collection, beautifully photographed. So I think they would be, I think the, the publication would be of great interest uh, to quilt makers and uh, people interested in the history of quilts. So um, thanks so much for mentioning that. I, I appreciate it. What's on the cover? Did you say? Well, yes. Yeah. So we, uh, <laughs> of course, you know, we're we're always trying to sync sync up efforts, right, and uh, make sure we get the get the most out of um, out of our beautiful collection and uh, share it. So we had um, really just the opportunity to acquire a quilt from artist Bisa Butler. Um, I guess it was almost two years ago. I can't believe it. Um, and we traveled to her home and studio in northern New Jersey and saw it before it was actually quilted when it was still a top. So that was really exciting. And it is titled To God and Truth. And um, it's just, it's a beautiful example of her work. So it's on the cover of the publication. And it's also in the first gallery that visitors will see when they come and visit the MFA to see this quilt show. Okay. Well, that's Jeff, great. I interrupted you. You were about to. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's okay. I, I was going. I was going to tell you later. I was going to message you. Wow, that was a great segue <laughs> to, to talking about the book. But no, I was just going to. I was just going to say before we dive into talking about the show, um, I was just uh, going to ask you a little bit about yourself. If you could tell us about your background and what led you to working as a curator. Oh, that's such a nice question. Well, I. Um... I was always interested in art and, uh, the, and I, I actually, when I was in high school, I did a lot of batiking and I was very, I thought for a while, it's very funny that when people ask me this question, I forget that my younger self actually wanted to be a textile designer. And, um, 
I don't know why I was distracted. I got distracted from that. And um, instead I pursued um, working in museums and I worked at the Colorado Historical Society in Denver, which was really fun. And then uh, I went to the Winterthur Program in Early American Culture, which is now called the Winterthur Program in, um, in American Material Culture. And uh, so I got a, a master's degree from University of Delaware through that program. And um, I've just, uh, you know, it's very interesting because I did learn about textiles when I was at uh, Winterthur in this in this graduate program uh, from a wonderful teacher and who was also the curator at the time. And um, it was a great experience and a, and a great introduction to the history of all, all kinds of textiles, but mostly those made in um, in Europe and like Great Britain and 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 Europe, and then imported into the um, either the British colonies or then the United States, and then obviously um, bed covers and uh, and uh, woven, particularly woven and quilted bed covers uh, made made here in in uh, in the United States. But um, I didn't really. You know, I, I didn't actually have that much professional um, encounters with textiles until I worked at Historic New England, which, of course, has a marvelous textile collection. And um, so a lot of what I learned about textiles and also just whatever we some people would call it fashion, some people would call it costume, but basically like historic clothing um, made from textiles, obviously, I, I really learned at Historic New England, which was, which was, I always think it's sort of the best way to learn is from, from objects, from art that you're actually looking at and can get, can be close to. And, and um, so, uh, so then I started here at the Museum of Fine Arts in 2002, uh, actually cataloging at, uh, their American textile collection because we were the museum, the MFA was uh, going to open its American wing uh, in which it did in 2010, and so they wanted to make sure that all of their catalog records were up to snuff. And so I was put in charge of those that were made and used in America. So that was also a great um, a great way to learn learn more about about uh, what Americans made and used and valued <laughs> as far as textiles go. Wow, that sounds incredible. So eight years of cataloging, that had to be one heck of an opening when it finally did, right? So well, you had to have been thrilled just to just to see it all come to fruition. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It was at the, we have the, uh, when the America, Art of the Americas Wing was opened in 2010, you know, it was really quite something because the Museum of Fine Arts Boston has such an, an amazing collection of American paintings and decorative arts and textiles. Um, and uh, so to have a wing devoted to it was, was, a, was really important and is really important. It's, it's, I think it's a highlight of many, many visitors who their experience when they come here. Absolutely. I mean, everyone can identify with a quilt. Usually somebody has an ancestor or a grandmother or aunt or somebody who, has made one so it's it's sort of ubiquitous with the yeah. american experience i think yes yes well we're we're counting on that uh <laughs> for the <laughs> exhibition that um you know quilts do um they they have sort of something familiar about them and it, but it's of course 
uh, it's interesting when, because we, well, there are 58 examples in the publication, Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories, but in uh, planning the exhibition, we couldn't put all 58 in uh, in the book in the, they didn't all fit in the gallery, which is, as you can imagine, is uh, it's a it's a very tough decision to make. Like what your what, favorite child? <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like wedding guests. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. that's not going to be good if we cut that one. And so it's um, the uh, uh, so um, like, oh, they're really going to want to come to the party. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but the nice thing about having the publication is that if you do have to cut something, it's, it's in a way it has a longer, um, legacy or effect being in the publication because people will always have that available to look at. Um, and, um, and then we did acquire, um, some other works more recently that were acquired too late to go into the publication. So, but the nice thing about having the publication is that, um, as you say, not everyone can travel easily to Boston, um, particularly in the winter months. So, um, so I, I think it's a very, it's a good, good thing to offer people. We've also planned, uh, an audio guide that you, it, you can download the app, um, on, from the museum's website. There's a, there's a link to the app. And, um, I believe there are t- 10 to a dozen audio stops, um, that show the work of art that one would see if you were here in the, in the museum and a description either from me, uh, or, probably more interesting um, <laughs> to many uh, a if there is a we have if there's a work by a contemporary artist um, we, we chose four of four or six of those uh, in the exhibition and so someone can just learn more about the um, the work of art from the artists themselves which is really I thought I'm, I'm really excited about that We're, we've really tried to make sure that the voices of contemporary artists are a a part of the experience. And so you can experience that without traveling to Boston, <laughs> even so, though it's designed for people visiting the exhibition. <laughs> so uh, I'm just curious, how would you describe the show for someone? Um, and, and what was kind of your intention uh, when you were thinking about and conceptualizing the show? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question, Jeff, because um, it started as the publication and the publication is organized chronologically. Um, it features, as I said, 58 works of art from our uh, uh, textile and uh, from our quilt and bed cover collection. So pretty, you know, we didn't want to leave out woven coverlets, um, embroidered blankets. Um, so we, it's, there are mostly quilts, but then there are other, other types of textile works of art uh, that would have covered beds. And um so in a sense, it wasn't that that was an easier prod part of the project, but um, it was more self-defining in the sense that it, it's, it's organized chronologically. Um, but it did get us thinking about as we as we as we um, con- we had these great workshops with outside academics and curators and artists um, that a lot of these textiles had. Um, bigger stories to tell, um, whether it was the actual story of the artist who made them or the maker who made them or the community that they came from. Um, and then some of the stories are just, we don't know who made them. We have, you know, obviously an idea of where they came from because of the way they look. Um, but we wanted to tell some other stories, deeper stories about, um, 
uh, the uh, the materials that are used to make them and what they say about all the many hands that contributed to some of these works of art. So it's it's um, uh, it's 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 you know the the exhibition um, was a sense the ideas the ideas in the exhibition were seeded by the work on the publication and grew into um, what is uh, what we hope will uh, be an experience of of uh, having one's um, expectations of the of the quilt uh, exceeded <laughs> in that we are showing. Um, you know, obviously some of the most beautiful and most impressive examples of quilts from our collection. But we're also, um, we, we definitely are trying to get people to get into, um, places where they can have, um, you know, difficult, challenging conversations about, uh, not just the history of quilts, but also sort of the history of the context in which they come from, like what's really, um, you know, what is America and why are these so, so associated with America? And what does that say about uh, our country, where it's been, where it is now, you know, where we think we're going and, um, and then how that, how that intersects with, with the understanding of, uh, of the American quilt. Um, so it's, it's, uh, we picked this title because it's so much about, like the fabric of quilts and like that, that people are, you know, relate to textiles and quilts, but also that, you know, I've worked with lots of kinds of decorative arts and I'll tell you that no one tells stories about candlesticks, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like you put a quilt out and just people just start talking about like themselves, the quilts, like, you know, it leads to all of this conversation. And, um, you know, that's really interesting. Candlesticks are beautiful. Mahogany tables are beautiful, but they do not elicit <laughs> the same stories as quilts. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's about craftsmanship, whereas these are about history. I mean, they're quilts are. I'd love it when to hear of museums merging quilts as art pieces and historical pieces because they are both. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. reflect the art and the culture of the time in which they were made very, very much. Like the colors, cheddar being so popular during the Civil War, turkey red and the green that they used. And what happened to the dyes and how they degrade the fabric at different rates. And so you can tell how old a quilt is by how worn the red is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting stuff. And how did they get this fabric? How much did they have to pay for it given the circumstances, you know? Yes, yes. And so, so that has been, and I think, you know, uh, I think you are, you, you, that is such an on point observation because, and it and it reveals the sort of the tricky part of this because um, a lot of our audience for this exhibition will be um, people who bring that kind of deep knowledge and familiarity with quilts, with textiles, with uh, American decorative arts and material culture, and um, and you know are also very supportive of hey yes this is art <laughs> and. Um, so the challenge is getting people who might think I'm going to a museum, I'm going to an art museum in an urban place and I expect to see 
beautiful paintings. And we, of course, the MFA has beautiful paintings. Um, but this is a way of looking at um, maybe a different kind of art. Maybe art is is a little broader than than someone might have originally thought. And and so, um, you know, I I, uh, I I call it. So we sort of have an aesthetic responsibility to these works and. Um, we want to make sure I, you know, I, I feel like it's really important that they're shown in their best possible way, you know, so that if anyone is going to be convinced that quilts can be considered art, this is, this is what, this is, this is our goal, you know, that we want that experience to happen as well. Right. And beauty, I was raised by an artist and the strength of art, the beauty of art is that it gets people talking and quilts get people talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, so and well put. Yes. They're utilitarian or they can be, they have been, but they also, there's so much emotion that goes into the process of making it. Even if you're making something out of clothing scraps, because that's all you could afford. It's still, there's a tremendous amount of emotion going into it. And any art has that. And I, yes. I love that you're celebrating it. That's wonderful. Oh, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate to have worked with uh, my two colleagues, Pam Parmel and Lauren Whitley, who co-wrote the book. We all wrote the book together. They've, they've since retired, but they're really excited to come and see the exhibition. And, um, and so many people have helped us in the quilting community. And uh, we've had a wonderful experience engaging outside voices like Taya Miles from uh, Harvard University is uh, going to. She's going to be in a video of uh, uh, describing the Harriet, the life, like, essentially like the life and work of Harriet Powers. Um, we're going to have both Harriet Powers quilts. We have the pictorial quilt by Harriet Powers, and we have we have borrowed the Bible quilt from the Smithsonian. They'll both be on view. This is the first time ever they were never on view during Harriet Powers' lifetime. Uh, or any time since. So that's going to be really like truly a, a historic moment. And, um, and it's just so exciting to have quilts like Bisa Butler's, but also represent the work of um, quilters from the seventies. I love the seventies with the colors and, um, and we have a beautiful Amish quilt and uh, we did have with there about, so there are 45 objects from our collection, from the MFA's collection. We did borrow five pieces um, and uh, um, one, because we, you know, we, we really had to acknowledge that there, there certainly are gaps in our collection and the loans don't, don't acknowledge all, don't, don't address all of those. But um, we did borrow a quilt from the National um, Japanese American Historical Society in San Francisco that was made in the post and internment camp oh, by a fourth yeah. grade class. Yeah, it's very, it's incredibly moving. And um, it's just, it's a, it's, uh, it's a wonderful organization, uh, the National Japanese American Historical Society. And um, so they have a photograph that was of, uh, three children in this fourth grade classroom. Um, it was taught by Misaka Hirihata, and she was teaching a class on civics. And the students wanted to, um, oh, sorry, it was a civics class, and she was teaching a unit on the pioneer period. 
And so the children wanted, her students wanted to actually experience making a quilt themselves. And so uh, one family donated some of the fabric for uh, the larger blocks. And then you can see how they, they, they piece together um, other rectangular pieces where they each, each child cross-stitched their own name onto the, onto the, that block. And then the, the teacher's younger sister helped finish the quilt. She made the the border, and we had and the um, historical society has a photograph of of them working in this classroom, and um, and so we're combining that on the label with a poem that was uh, written and passed around an, an anonymous poem about uh, titled like that damn fence, and it's about the fence and being fenced in. So like that, it's like you move and you, you move toward this quilt and it looks, oh, that looks like a nice little sort of child's smallish quilt. And oh, look, it has, that's how cheery it has, you know, cross-stitched names of different children on it. And then hopefully you can get, one can get pulled into this story and see how, like, it rec- I think the, the, the object recognizes and highlights the individuality of each of the makers because each block that has the child, the children's um, individual hand stitched names. They obviously did it themselves because the cross stitching varies. The colors they chose to stitch their name on is, is completely distinct from, from the others. And, um, and I think that's really, like, I think that's just one of the things that's so complicated, but wonderful about quilts is that, you know, on the one hand, they celebrate individuals, um, they were, they can be these incredible uh, visual vehicles and expressive vehicles for an individual maker, but they always circle back to their community. And I think that's, that's like, even in like artists like Bisa Butler, like she's, when if you hear her talk about her work, she's circling back to um, something in her experience, something in which she thinks about the, when she, when she makes these portraits, she's circling back and honoring the individuality of the people that she portrays. So it's, I just, I just, I think that's really interesting. Mm. I'm it's curious, amazing. how, how long has the Museum of Fine Arts Boston been preparing for this show? Well, it's always, that's a great question. We really, we started getting ready for the publication around 2018. And at some point we decided we were preparing for an exhibition. We must've decided that around late 2019. And I should have kept a more accurate timeline on it. Um, So we ended up kind of, and because, um, because those two things sort of dovetailed at a certain point, <laughs> we thought, oh my goodness, we have to finish the book. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> and so we, it's basically the exhibition has been in the works for about maybe two and a half years. And, um, but then, you know, there's the pandemic in the middle. So, you know, sure. that, that's like sort of does time, I, I can't, I still can't decide if the pandemic made time slow down or speed up, <laughs> but it's not normal. It's not yeah, normal exactly. time. <laughs> Something, you know, in the tree rings of life, like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. This is the fire. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. It's yeah, a charred it's a ring in the middle. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a while, but you know, it's, it's just, it's a great, I, I think that it, um, you know, it, it, like all, like all important things, you know, it's an iterative, iterative process. And, um, as we've worked through, you know, uh, different opening dates and, um, you know, I would say that the show has improved, um, every time 
we've sort of taken it back up again and been like, okay, we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably a, you know, correlate question. People ask quilters, how long did it take you to make this? It's like, um, exactly. Well. <laughs> I can never give you a <laughs> I mean, if you're talking actual cron, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's always know, you're integrated. You're doing more than one at a time. So it's yeah. hard to say. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Like you're never working on just one. That totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, it's not like writing a, short story or anything there's no yeah i agree it's um and anything that involves either uh it, it involves so many people too and um and i've just i'm so fortunate to work with just amazing amazing people and really call like but colleagues but also just like just terrific people have such high um they have such high professional standards that um the uh but it it's it's like I like to say it takes many hands to lift a quilt show. <laughs> I mean the amount of um, the amount of expert eyes and hands that have looked at every single object before they are even photographed, and we have an amazing phot- photographer. We have amazing photographers here. We have you know um, just amazing creative ex- creative department, exhibition department interpretation publication so um it's it's just it's it's just it's really it's you know obviously working with this incredible collection is such an honor and so it's such a privilege but um like the collection wouldn't it it it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't be as accessible and it wouldn't be really as important if 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 all of these people didn't have such high standards for the work that they do and, and making bringing it to the public in all the ways that it, it will be brought to the public. Uh, what is the oldest piece that is in the show? Do you know how old it is? No, well, not exactly. It's probably late seventeenth century. We have one really wow. spectacular. Um, so this is where we sort of like you know, we stretched the silly putty to like make it fit <laughs> over our cool collection. We were like, ah, you know, it's so cool. Um, so we have a piece that um, was made probably outside of Mexico city. It's embroidered and it was, you know, it has like some, I, we, I, it, it was probably a table cover or a bed cover. It's really hard to tell. And it has sort of embroidered cross. It's very densely cross stitched with wool. And um, it has, um, some uh some of the animals and iconography relate to um uh relate to uh european heraldry um and then uh so there're lions like sort of rampant lions and there's some uh sheep in there and then there are just other strange uh birds flora and fauna that probably will relate to um Asian textiles, specifically Chinese textiles that um, would have come in from, basically they would have gone from China to Manila and then across um, to Mexico um, on the West Coast and then across to Alcapoco to Mexico City um, and then to the Gulf of Mexico and then to Spain. And um, so that's pretty exciting. And, you know, it's beautiful and like has this deep red that's cochineal dyed and that's just a wonderful piece. So that's probably late 17th century. And then in the publication, we have a very cool uh, woven bed rug. So it's like a pile weave. It also has like, it's very interesting. It has these lions and, and you know, this sort of uh, European heraldry that um, there were, it was brought, it's all white and it's cotton. 
Americans, which, you know, in the late 17th century would have been a luxury um, material. And uh, it was brought here, it came with this great story. I think it, it, was a, it was acquired around 1901 and given to the museum by descendants. Um, and so they were from the Bowdoin family, which is a very old family name in Boston. Um, and they were, they were Huguenot merchants essentially. And so they, they like escaped persecution in France and went to England and brought this coverlet with them. <laughs> and then they brought it to Boston <laughs> uh, in the very early 18th century. So it's probably really, really closer to 1675 or, or so, you know, sort of closer to the, to the, um, third quarter of the 17th century. And um, so, you know, it, that's the thing that's like fascinating about this collection is that, um, you know, we do have those pieces that um, are really, really early that have no, that have so few comparables. So both of those pieces, like we couldn't find another embroidered cover, bed cover or table cover, like wow. the one that's in, um, it's in the exhibition and in the book, just because they're so early and, you know, maybe there's some in Europe, but like they're not published, they're not on databases. And, um, and then the Bowdoin coverlet, um, that's woven with a, a woven pile, you know, there's some sort of, but they're like, they're very, it's very hard to, to find comparables. And as you know, I mean, if you make, if you make quilts and you work with textiles, you know, they're very vulnerable. <laughs> if you make them out of wool, you have to worry about moths. If you make them out of cotton, you have to worry about someone washing them too much or spilling on them <laughs> or, you know, and um, so these very early textiles are, are really quite special. So, and, and then, and then, so we have in the exhibition, we also have a really beautiful, um, quilt from India that was probably made in the late 17th century or um, early 18th century that's hand-painted and resist-dyed uh, uh, on cotton. Um, and it's it's quite exquisite. And that also was actually part of, uh, it was owned by a merchant family in Boston. They don't really have a history as to how it was acquired, but um, it, it, it was given in the 1930s and it had great 18th century provenance. So it's a, it's a really fun to share all that. And that's what was so nice about being able to write the publication is that we could really go deep into a lot of those stories um, that you can't, you know, obviously in a label, in an sure. exhibition, that would, be, that would just, people couldn't handle that. <laughs> you know, we're we're kind to our visitors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we limit our Here's label text. <laughs> yeah. so, so what's, what's the most recent quilt in, in the show? Um, that is a good question too. Okay, so there are a couple that are um, that are not very old. Um, I think the most recently made quilt that we acquired in July um, or June or July this this just past summer um, is it's not actually a quilt. Um, it is a uh, a textile portrait. Um, it's made by with appliqued. Um, uh, silo, essentially like appliqued pieces of cloth onto one large piece of cloth that's then stretched on a canvas. Uh, it's made by Gio Swaby, who is an artist who was born in the Bahamas and went to Vancouver and now lives in Toronto, where she's getting her master's in fine arts. And she makes, she, she has several different kinds of work, but um, the one that we acquired is called Love Letter 5. So it's from her uh, her series called Love Letter, and um, 
what she does is she will photograph friends, family, people that actually she meets socially online. And um, she'll have like a photo session with them. And they're not performers or, you know, they're not sort of um, professional actors, but she photographs them the way you'd sort of do a photo shoot with like, you know, a model or an actress or an actor or someone, you know, and, um, and then, so she likes to capture their likeness in photography and, and she even does this online. And then, um, but they get to choose everything themselves. Obviously they choose what they wear, you know, it's all about like, how do they express themselves um, through their presence? And, um, and then she recreates them in these life-size rectangular portraits and textiles. And um, she has some work where she actually sews directly onto the canvas and the sewn line is like a, it's like a line or a, like a sketch. And then sometimes she will applique fabric on top of that. But the, the piece that we chose that I want, I thought it was really important to show was it's all applique because that's the closest visually to a quilt top. And, um, and then we have, um, we have a quilt. It might, I think this might be the most recently made uh, actual fabric sandwich quilt. Um, and it was made by Sylvia Hernandez, who's based in Brooklyn. And it was made in, this was made in 2018. It's called um, Hashtag How Many More. And um, it's quite powerful. It's, uh, she was inspired to make it um, as a way of um, just sort of trying to sort of process the um, school shooting in Parkland in Florida. And um, it has, it's, it's very moving. It has images of automatic rifles on it but they're very abstracted and um they almost look like a they're in like almost a a, a radial a circular um, snowflake kind of pattern mm-hmm. and so they're very hard to recognize at first so it's like very much like that that sort of quilts are like pull you in to stories that are more difficult like they seem sort of innocent and then you're like oh wait a second what are those yeah. and um and she said that you know she's shown this and you know grown men cry in front of it and she reminded me that, and this is true for, I was thinking about this for myself too. Like all of us are touched by gun violence and, you know, maybe not directly, but, you know, we're one or two people away from something, one of those stories. Um, and, uh, and they're quite, quite, quite gut wrenching. And, um, so there are some, you know, there are some, some challenging works in the exhibition, but there are also works that, um, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're truly beautiful works of art and celebrate the artistry of, of quilts. And that's and, where it's hard, you know, like, cause it's sort of, how do you balance all those stories? And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't all, not all dark, <laughs> heavy. Right, right. Um, and it's a beautiful, I mean, hashtag how many more is a beautiful quilt. Sylvia Hernandez is a, is a, amazing artist and um so it'll be interesting to hear people i mean i'm interested to hear your comments after you see it because um <laughs> particularly as makers and and um and and uh and you know how it how it sort of you know you saw what you wanted to see but also maybe saw some other things too i'm curious do you have a challenge. favorite quilt from the show i can't you know other people have asked me that question it is kind of like choosing your favorite child it's it's um it varies you know the funny thing is that 
um, when I'm focused on one and I have to write about, I'm at, like, I have to write something about it or, you know, someone's asked me a question, you know, then it's like, oh yeah, I love that one. And then the other thing is that you forget about their details. I forget about their details. And we got out the, um, it's a beautiful railroad quilt from Peru, Indiana, which I am pronouncing correctly. And um, it has uh, an applique railroad and an applique roundhouse in the middle. And then it has these figures. There's like a little embroidered dog and there's a woman walking and there's a, um, other animals and, um, and other buildings. And, you know, it, and it has a white ground and then all, all this applique is on a, a blue with a very, very small resist print, little white dots. It's a spectacular quilt. And I think it has, um, it was the Erie, oh, I forget now. It was like the Erie Railroad. And um, it was, it has, uh, I think it has the date. I should know this. It has the date of like 1887 on it or 86. And um, it's just, I had forgotten how those, those, those embroidered details just like, it looks like the dog has lipstick on. Like she she must've done like a a red tongue or something like that. And just how quilts can like first grab you from across the room. And then because we just hung this two days ago and then they just pull you right in when you get up close and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, look, look, look what this quilt maker did to, um, to visually, you know, to, to, to capture the world in the moment that, that she, that, 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 that she was in. And so, um, and it's also really fun. We have a wonderful quilt from the, uh, 19, sorry, 1930, 1933 Chicago World's Fair. And it would, it had, it won the, um, it was one of the ones that won the, uh, the prize of the Sears quilt contest. And, uh, it was made by a man named Richard Rowley, who, um, he, it was actually entered by his mother, Louise Rowley, because apparently he told his son that he didn't think quilting was a manly activity. <laughs> and it is a beautiful quilt that I mean, he was an architectural draftsman in Chicago. So he probably had, he didn't work for the architects who designed the, um, the fairgrounds, but he must have had access to the drawings. And, um, he had, you know, he, they, and I think his mother, I, to, to promote moms, like I was like, I think his mom helped him with this because this is nobody's <laughs> first quilt, but I, I'll let you guys decide that when you come and see it as, as makers, I will, I will, I'm interested in your, your opinion about this. But, um, there are just so many details in it. He captured, you know, all the plantings and all the trees. And there's a little um, sort of Venetian gondola in the, in the little sort of lagoon that they made on the fairgrounds. And um, they, um, you know, they have a little, there was a tram that went across um, the lagoon and he, they, they stitched that in. And it's really fun to watch you know, the people, you know, are my colleagues who are installing the exhibition who haven't seen these before. And they come up and they like, oh, look, like that's that. And then another person who's from Chicago said, yeah, no, there's the planetarium and that's still there. And, you know, so I, I like being, I'm really excited to have the show up and be able to go in the gallery and, you know, sort of, you know, go in with my Groucho Marx glasses and sort of incognito <laughs> and hear people like what, what they find interesting about it. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've never done that at a quilt show. I actually, actually I've sent my husband as a spy to listen oh, to what people are saying. Very good. Yeah. 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 I uh, could see that. Oh <laughs> so, okay. Given that you know so much about the history of quilting and fiber arts and fabric and textiles, do you have thoughts on the modern contemporary quilting um, 
popularity, the movement, I guess, I mean, for lack of a better word, that's going on right now, the renaissance, if you will? This does seem to be a renaissance. Um, I think there's always a quilt renaissance going on. Well, <laughs> like, true. There's I mean, always, like, it, always, it is interesting, though. I mean, except for, like, periods where it is actually very difficult to like it seems like i can't remember i have it like up on my shelf and so i'm 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 at i'm at work right now and so i'm looking at my shelf and i can't find it but one of these quilt books that i have from the early 1920s the introduction uh starts with well now that we're done doing our knitting for you know (laughs) our our troops because she's referring to world war one thank goodness we can get back to quilting (laughs) And then, you know, of course, like the story of Florence Pito is like, wow, there really aren't any quilts from World War II, but because she made, we have a beautiful Florence Pito quilt that'll be in the exhibition, but we have, you know, she made a group in the 1950s and, um, you know, she, she was talking and talking about quilts and promoting quilts, you know, from, from the thirties through the sixties, really into the seventies. And, um, so she just kept on doing this, you know? I mean, I'm sure there was a period where she made fewer quilts during the war. Um, but, um, you know, it did span, it did span the war. And then, um, and then of course we have, we have great, great quilts from the seventies, uh, which I, I just think are so neat where, you know, a whole new group of people. And the, I love also that when the new generation starts making quilts, the older generation says, Hey, they didn't discover this. <laughs> <laughs> we've been doing this all along and you're like of course <laughs> but that's the beauty of quilts is that like they let everyone in right it's this incredible medium so that like somebody who's gone to art school who maybe you know maybe their maybe their mom made clothes or maybe they had no experience sewing or except for you know uh, there's one artist virginia jacobs whose work um you know she 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 only took home ec. She had no experience with sewing, <laughs> and you know, in the in the nineteen late seventies, early eighties, she just went crazy and made quilts, and it was just like she was like on a mission. <laughs> so I think I love how the modern quilt movement embraces. It just seems like there's just so many different kind of people who are interested in making quilts, and they come at it from again like the same sort of thing. They come at it from all different all different angles, all different experiences. I mean, the Amish, they had no quilting tradition. They were weavers. I mean, they were amazing craftsmen and you know, they made all sorts of things that were incredibly beautifully made and beautifully designed. But, you know, they learned how to, or maybe they didn't learn how to quilt, but they either, they, they were just fine at reverse engineering <laughs> quilting, if that's what happened, uh, from their Welsh neighbors. So it's, it's, um, and then we have a number of quilts in the, in the collection that, you know, they were made by immigrants, you know, from places where there, there really wasn't a quilting tradition in, in addition to, um, to, you know, the Mennonite uh, Mennonites from from Northern Europe. So, I I think that's what's so exciting about about the modern quilt movement is um, is how you know the community, uh, if we think of it really broadly, is so broad and um, and is so not defined by geography. Like it seems like it really seems like modern quilters are really in touch with each other across the digital world. Oh, yes. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's I, one I think reason Instagram, why the modern quilting movement has taken off the way it has is because of the internet. Absolutely. I agree. I think before Instagram, videos. it was Flickr. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was on Flickr too, but it's mm-hmm. because of YouTube videos, people are able to learn how without having to go through the expense of taking a class mm-hmm. without the stress of it. Cause a lot of people are really cagey about taking a class. They had a rough experience with somebody telling them they were doing it wrong. <laughs> so they want to try it at home without that pressure. <laughs> right. I mean, and so, well, because, I mean, there's some people who have been quilting for a very long time who try to tell you that their way is the only way. Oh, and it's, and it's, you know, I mean, as an artist, you know, that's not true, that there no. are many, many ways to get there. And if you like the process, that's more important anyway. Yeah. yeah. Even if you're doing it the slow way. Yeah. I mean, I knit so inefficiently, but it looks <laughs> fine. So I don't care. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it? Then it's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, no, that is such a good point, Elaine, that, you know, there is, um, there's really no right, you know, there's no wrong and there's no right. It's just, it just is. And um, I, I just had the wonderful time at a shop called Gather Here in Cambridge um, yesterday. And I'd, I've been there for another talk uh, before that. And it's just like, it's fun to be around fabric, you know, like mm-hmm. it's such a terrific, I mean, what are like fabric stores? So, so what we should do, I would love if someone would have a show called, you know, fabric store <laughs> and they would just go around the country. Like, you know, the way they have those like restaurant shit, like, like, like regional restaurant yes, like food yes. shows. Like I want someone to have like fabric store because like, like if I'm in, if I go to some place and I see a fabric store, I'm like, let's go to the fabric store. <laughs> you I, know? I totally host it. Yeah. <laughs> I think but you, I'd you, never you make any money. You should both host this. Yeah. I would never would make fun. any money because I would just spend everything. You would spend it all. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to take a chaperone. Just, <laughs> but have you ever noticed people go into fabric stores? They cannot help. They touch everything. You have to, yeah. You have to pet the fabric, all yeah. Of it. And I Doesn't love how they're organized. You know, it's like the prints or the solids oh, and the oh, ribbons, oh. and then the, yes. the tools are over here. And um, so I do think, yeah, I think I think that um, I think that has a lot to do with it. And also, I mean, it seems like many um, many modern quilters are uh, like are t- maybe this is again my I have a very very um, limited understanding because I, I, I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. Like I'm hoping to learn how to quilt when I maybe have a little more time. And I, I know that it's all out there on YouTube <laughs> as well as all of these beautifully designed fabrics. Like that is something I don't, I don't know. That seems, I don't know if it's new or the ability to get these really attractive prints, um, different kinds of prints and all these different motifs and all these lovely colors. I don't know if that's new, but, um, that would be like very hard to resist. Yeah, <laughs> it is hard Come to resist. <laughs> we have cookies. <laughs> we're nice. Right. As long as you feed us M&Ms. We're, we're not. We don't bite. Well, great. Well, oh, thanks, to, thanks for taking the time to speak with us, Jennifer. Oh, my pleasure. Um, it's just, it's, it's just, a, it's a delight. And um, again, I hope that you'll have a chance to come to the exhibition or have a chance to look at the publication. And, you know, if something inspires you with, from either experience, let just let me know. And I'd, I'd love to see that because um, I really want, um, we, well, all of the museum, but especially I, I really want 
Um, I want people to um, not just have access to these wonderful works of art, but also, um, you know, be inspired by them. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jennifer Swope from the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston. Jennifer curated the upcoming quilt show, Fabric of a Nation, American Quilt Stories. As she mentioned, there's also a publication, and I'm assuming, Jennifer, that you can find that at um, order it from your local independent bookstore or online or through the museum. Um, And the show itself opens on October 10th at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston and runs through January 17th, 2022. So mark your calendars and check out the exhibit. And Jennifer, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you.